Welcome back to Beers and Careers, everybody. I'm your host, Mark Gustinelli. And as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscoes.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Davis is a staffing firm focused on all your talent acquisition needs, but primarily focusing on IT, engineering, and advanced manufacturing positions. Today's guest is Aaron Jansky. Um, awesome conversation. Erin is certainly inspiring for those that are kind of figuring it out. Um, she tried a bunch of things in the beginning of her career that eventually led her to an HR role. Um, but all of the things she tried along the way continually guided her and also were important skills that she honed to help her be successful in the job she is today and become more self-aware along the way. So absolutely awesome conversation with Erin. I really hope you enjoy it and uh, check it out. So kicking it off, Erin, uh, thank you very much for coming on Beers and Careers. Yeah, no problem. Erin, um, do you mind sharing exactly your role at the Worcester Housing Authority today? Yep. So I am the Chief Employee Experience Officer for the Worcester Housing Authority, which um, basically means that I run HR. Um, so I oversee all of the human resources functions for the agency, as well as our training and development team, our grants operations, and also our Step Up Apprenticeship Program, which is a um, program that we run to give residents in public housing an opportunity to kind of build their job skills and um, a job history you know, to put on their resume so that they can go out and get better jobs later. So it's like a, a work training program. Excellent. And how how um how many people work at the Worcester Housing Authority? So we have about 225 employees right now. Okay. Um, yeah, so pretty decent sized group. Awesome. Awesome. And for those of you, most folks that listen, because we just did some of this research, are in the New England area. So most people know Worcester. If you're not, Worcester is the second largest city in New England, I'm uh, pretty confident. It's about 45 minutes west of Boston, so uh, no joke for sure yeah. in terms of size. Um, now, before we kick it off and get in deeper into the dialogue, got some quick rapid-fire questions to help the, the audience get to know Erin. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite cocktail or drink since we are on Beers and Careers? Although it's 3 o'clock on a Thursday, and I've got a seltzer, and Erin has a protein shake, so we are... Yeah, healthy right now. But. Yeah, we're being healthy right now, so I'm drinking my protein shake. Um, but yeah, I I'm a, a beer person. I like beer a lot. Uh, my husband and I love to go to craft breweries on the weekends and mm. kind of check places out. So um, right now, my my favorite, I would say, Redemption Rock has a new one on their rotation list. Uh, Redemption Rock Brewing is on Shrewsbury Street in Worcester. Awesome brewery if you haven't been, it's worth a visit. But they have a beer right now called The Trees, which is a maple lager and it's really oh. delicious. So definitely recommend. Yeah, I'm into that. That sounds that sounds delicious. I have not been there, but I've had their beer. Uh, yeah. One of the golf courses I play at carries Redemption Rock, so we oh great to to enjoy. And the craft beer scene is obviously exploding all over the world. But man, we've been lucky in yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah, lots of really great ones in, in mass. So definitely uh, you could make a day of it. <laughs> yes. Now, I know I'm asking this of an HR person, but do you have a favorite curse word? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a terrible, terrible mouth, um, like a trucker. It's actually, it's really, really, really bad. Um, yeah, you're in good uh, company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I swear a lot. If you ask uh, the people who work closest with me, I'm able to keep my mouth shut for normal meetings and things like that and stay professional and appropriate. But um, in, you know, backroom meetings and things like that, I uh, 
Our <laughs> COO covers his ears regularly around that's, me. That's um, too funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think we're probably very similar in that regard. Yeah, I swear a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there a favorite guilty pleasure of yours? Um, like food wise, maybe? Yeah. Um yeah. probably mac and cheese. I love okay. mac and cheese. If you can find a good mac and cheese, uh yeah, I'm I'm there. All about the mac and cheese. <laughs> I I love it. It's a good uh down home cooking style meal too. So yeah, yeah. Armsby Abbey in Worcester just reopened. They had been closed throughout most of the pandemic, and their mm. mac and cheese is legendary. So okay. I'm to to head back over there and get a nice big bowl of mac and cheese. You're planning a weekend for me, Armsby Abbey, and then by Redemption Rock. I've yeah. Got, I've got a tour to pull off here. There you go. <laughs> um, are you a quote person? Like, do you have a favorite quote? Or I know some people do, some people don't. Yeah, I mean, I guess, so um, maybe a couple. So one, oh, I can tell you two that I really like. So one is um, Desmond Tutu. He has a quote that's something around, uh, there comes a point where we need to just stop pulling people out of the river and go upstream to find out why, why they're falling in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one I really like uh, just because it kind of goes towards problem solving is getting to the root of a problem instead of just resolving the surface issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one I kind of use a lot. I do a lot of volunteering in the community and I feel like there needs to be more focus on that, the back end of why things are happening rather than just, you know, handing, um, a homeless person, uh, you know, a snack, you know, that resolves the immediate issue, but how do we get that person the services they need to, um, you know, have not, you know, it's like kind of the teach a man to fish. Yeah. Like, we got to address the, address the actual source of the problem as opposed to the symptoms of the problem. And I right. Think, right. Uh, it's an interesting point because I feel like all too often, especially in, you know, my experiences more in the business world, people get really hemmed up on the symptoms of the problem and can't right. kind of look beyond them. So that, that resonates with me, too. I like that quote. Yeah, yeah. And then my second favorite quote, which I probably use more often, um, goes back to my my cursing but um it's right. karma's only a bitch if you are yes <laughs> yeah I love, that's really good what goes around comes around yeah yeah and that's kind of the the way i try to live my life you know if you're living in the negative and living you know with a, a shitty attitude you're probably going to have a lot of you know, a shitty outlook on life and how things are happening but if you go do th- good things good things will come to you you know that's so true that's so true. I think uh kind of means like you reap what you sow. Yeah. To a degree, yeah. Now, mm-hmm. that's that's awesome. Now, we haven't met, obviously, previously, but when I was looking at your background, I saw you went to school for psych. Yep. Did you know you were going to get into HR? Like, was that <laughs> – like, talk to me about that. No, but it's definitely helpful to have. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say – I mean, you feel like you work in a psychologist's office? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think especially during the pandemic, I've become more of a therapist than anything else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's okay. I mean, people are really going through a tough time, and, and so it's, you know, if I'm able to help them, and even just to be a, a sounding board or a venting, you know, station, that's yeah. fine. I don't mind. And trying to help people kind of, uh, you know, coordinate um resolutions to issues so um i don't mind it but yeah i i my undergrad degree was in psychology i kind of had an idea i actually wanted to be i don't know if you watch law and order svu oh yeah 
But how, uh, you how, know, how do you not get sucked into that? Exactly, time? right? Such a great show. But so I've been watching it for you know a million years. It's been on for a million years. And do you remember Dr. Wong? I the, was he the forensic guy? Yeah. So he was kind of the psychologist that interviewed the the you know the suspects to decide yes. if they were able to stand trial or crazy or whatever. So I kind of wanted to be Dr. Wong. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I uh, that's kind of why I majored in psychology. I did an, uh, a minor in justice law and society, which was kind of a criminal justice-ish, um, uh, you know, career path. And I uh, thought I was going to go to law school or to med school for psych, except I could never do med school because I medical things gross me out. <laughs> and so that wouldn't have worked out for me. Um, and then, you know, law school is like a hundred thousand dollars and so yes. much of your life. Yeah. So I really wasn't positive. I wanted to do that. So after I graduated, I ended up going to Northeastern and getting a paralegal certification um, and figured I'd start working in law firms as a paralegal to see if I actually wanted to maybe go into law. Um, and after a few years of working in law firms, I decided maybe not. <laughs> so. Um, no offense to lawyers, um, but, you know, I just decided that it was not for me. Um, was there anything that tipped you over the edge? No, it's just, it's you know, it's it's a, there's so many lawyers. And I had a few friends that had gone to law school right after college and all of them hated their jobs. So mm -hmm. um, I just and there's so many different areas. And, you know, I just I didn't want to do it. Um so I ended up just kind of continuing to work in like legal compliance type jobs at various places. Um, and then when I was at UMass, there was an opportunity to go back to school for a graduate degree, um, you know, for half the cost because you're an employee. So I decided to just go for an MBA because I figured, you know, a business degree can kind of get you in the door with anything. Yeah, it's applicable. Right. It's so useful to pretty much anything you ever want to do. So. I went for my MBA um, and had a great professor there, Professor Kressler, who was a mentor to me. And he kind of suggested HR might be a, an area for me to look at. And then I actually kind of fell into the job I'm in now. So very a little bit of a strange evolution. But, um, yeah. Well, a perfect candidate for beers and careers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like the podcast was certainly inspired out of. My time in the staffing business just being like, man, no one's career path is really following these career uh, ladders that uh, corporations are spending tons of money doing. <laughs> no. <laughs> so let's document it. So that's interesting. Although I will say, and I want to hear how you fell into your current job. Yeah. A background in law and then compliance. Mm -hmm. Pretty good for HR. Yeah, yeah. Actually, all those things kind of lined up well. And I think that's why my professor suggested HR might be a next move. Um, but I didn't really, I hadn't even really thought about HR at all before that. So how'd you fall into this role? So, um, you know, I'd worked at UMass for many years and, um, I was there for almost five years when I finished my MBA. And at that point I kind of felt a little tapped out, um, in what I was doing. You know, most of the work I was doing was related to procurements and public bids, okay. which, um, isn't exactly exciting work, you know, um, yeah. just, and two things are killer for me. One is being micromanaged and the other is being bored. Um, and I was bored. Uh, so 
if I'm bored, then my head is elsewhere and I'm not focusing anymore and I'm kind of ready to get out the door and find a new challenge. So um, I started looking and the housing authority had an advertisement for a, a chief of procurement, um, which again, I was bored with procurement, so I wasn't really all that interested, but I also kind of feel like when you're looking, it's good to take as many interviews as you can because yes. it's good practice. Um, yeah especially when you haven't interviewed in a few years. So I interviewed there and I was interviewing with the CFO who is our current CFO still. And he, while we're in the interview, he said to me, you know, have you ever thought about HR? And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of funny. You know, my professor and I discussed this in my MBA and blah, blah, blah. So we kind of got to talking about it. And he was telling me that the current director of HR was being promoted to general counsel. She's an attorney. Um, and they hadn't advertised the job yet, but would I be interested in interviewing for that job for the director of HR position? And I, at the time, was like, well, that would be a big jump for me to go from uh, basically a compliance associate to a director of a HR department without really having an HR background, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, you know, I'm never one to shy away from a challenge. So I said, sure, why not? Interviewed for it. Um, interviewed with the executive director. He uh, basically said, you have the right personality that I want for this job. Even though you don't have the background, I can teach you that. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have the personality that fits for this. So um, we're going to offer you the position. Take a chance. Wow, that's really cool because that, I feel like there's a lot of people that would wish people would just take a chance on them based on the soft skills. Right. Right. And I think more employers need to do that because really, you know, uh, you can teach people the hard skills. It's the soft skills that you can't teach. Um, And really, you know, you see, you know, when you place people, if the right fit personality wise isn't there, it causes so many other issues, Um, you know, more so than someone not knowing or not coming in with the the 20 years of experience in X, Y, Z or whatever it is. So. Um, it's, it's the it's the truth. Do you? I guess I have so many questions now. Do you, <laughs> um, you were pro before you were in HR. You were doing other things for about eight-ish years. Yeah. Um, it's crazy because I think so many people leave undergrad and think they need to get the the perfect fit for their career, and there's so much pressure. You seem like in the role you're in today, you are loving what you're doing, engaged, not bored, and fully challenged, which is what you were looking for. Like, can you talk to me about those eight years, though? Like, was it, were there points where you were in darker places from a career perspective, you know, as I'm asking someone who's majored in psychology, maybe, (laughs) um, but yes. Yeah, for sure. There were, there were bad jobs in between. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but I feel like every Every bad job or job, I shouldn't even say bad job, I should should say job that's not the right fit. Right. Um, You know, that there's learning experience there. So there's something you learn there. There's something you took from that position. Um, So everything kind of was, you know, not to be corny, but like everything was for a reason. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, you learn something from each job. So, you know, there were definitely some not – um, not so happy ones in there, and some. Yeah, but I'm guess, but I'm guessing like the skills, especially like the legal, uh, the time you spent, kind of like I don't know. I'm a fan of Gary, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you're familiar. Like he's a, 
marketing guru, uh, kind of influencer online. He's like, you know, he gives a lot of people advice when they're like younger, just like find a job where you have to eat shit. Like meaning like it's okay if the job sucks and things. And I feel like, I don't know, in your case, it seems to me like the perfect example of like, yeah, you didn't love, like you tried things. Yeah. But all of the things you tried also became really important for your background today. Right. Yeah, there were steps along the way. Yeah. And even if it was just to get, you know, a salary boost for the next job or a title boost for the next job or something like that, there was something taken from each of those jobs. That makes a ton of sense. Now, now that you're in a role where uh, in HR hiring and recruiting is part of your job, like, are you able to influence that level of let's hire people with the soft skills and train them on the uh, on the stuff that they need, kind of like, you know, your CFO, I think it was, who took a chance on you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, we try to do that. You know, uh, some of our jobs, you know, some of our more technical jobs, like we have uh, maintenance and trades workers, some of them need to be, you know, a master plumber or a master electrician or things like that. You kind of have to go more with the technical skills over the soft skills. But um, for like our office staff, our leadership, we really look for that person that's a personality fit that's going to, mm-hmm. you know, jive with the team and really be a good leader um, more so than necessarily their uh, their technical background. Mm-hmm. Now, as someone sitting in your shoes and specifically your role, like, again, the podcast was inspired to document these nonlinear career paths, but also help inspire people to not get too stuck on things early in their career. Yeah. What do you think job seekers get wrong in terms of the whole application process and interviewing? Like, as someone from your vantage point, you've got a a breadth of folks in terms of different skill sets, but also it's a pretty large organization. Like, do you have any insight that you could pass on to folks? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really about being who you are. Don't pretend to be what you think the recruiter is seeking um, because you're going to do yourself a disservice there. You know, the job interview is as much about you liking the job and the company that you're going to be working for as it is about them being impressed by you and your background. Um, so if you're going in there pretending to be something you're not, you know, based on what the advertisement showed or what you think they want you to be, right. um, really kind of hiding your own personality or who you are as a person, you're going to you're going to screw yourself over because you're not going to um, you maybe you don't fit in as well or you find yourself stretching uh, too much in the job uh, because the expectation is different based on what you showed them in an interview um, mm. where if you're able to be yourself and you frame it when you go into an interview more as you're you're there just as much to interview them to make sure it's the right fit for you as they are to interview you. So make sure that you want to work for that company, that the people are, you know, the culture, the people, the job itself is what you want it to be. Um, rather than pretending you're someone you're not. Um, do, you, do you have any advice for people on like how to assess that within an interview? How would yeah. you think about that? Yeah, it, and it's hard because obviously the same way you're putting on your best face yeah. for an interview, the company is putting on their best face. They're not right. going to tell you, you know, we have a lot of terrible days here or, <laughs> you know. Life is um, 
difficult and the coffee machine's broken all the exactly, time. Exactly, exactly, right. And the clients are yelling at you and whatever else. Um, right. But I think it's important to ask those questions to say, you know, what's the culture like here? How do you guys have fun? How do you recognize talent and um, and reward it? You know, what kind of incentives are there for for employees to uh, to work hard and to, to work harder, to do more? Are there, you know, how involved is this company with the community? You know, what's the tie to the community? So kind of assessing those things and then, you know, they're checking your references. You should check yours as well. So I would, you know, go on LinkedIn and see, do you have a contact that either has worked for this company before or works for them now? Can you call that person or just say, hey, I'm going to be interviewing at company X. You know, do you have any advice for me or well, how is your experience there or something like that? But um I think it's important to kind of ask those questions. And I think it's also impressive for the recruiter to hear someone interested in that piece of it. Uh, Cause a lot of times people don't ask that stuff. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a real challenge cause it's a cat and mouse game of impression, but also assessment. And, right. and I think, uh, I think the more mature you are in your skin to your point of like being, you know, unapologetically, yourself helps that kind of transcend that interview. I think that's yeah. kind of the, uh, Oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I think you're, I think you're a hundred percent right about it. It's, do you, do you find though that like, were your soft skills, something you, you worked at? I mean, you almost made it seem like your soft skills got you the job, which I don't think is probably a- completely accurate because you certainly had some technical background that's absolutely applicable, but right. let's just, play with the idea that maybe your soft skills were the majority of the reason you got the job. Did, were you working on them like specifically, or is it something that you've, you know, consciously honed? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a work in progress, you know, I'm in my uh, late thirties. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I would say in my earlier jobs, I was probably less confident going into interviews um, and probably, you know, was nervous that showed a lot kind of hiding who I was because I wanted to get the job. Um, But I think some of the soft skills are things you can't really learn. So you have to kind of trick yourself into. So, you know, things like confidence going into an interview, everyone's nervous. You know, I'm not going to say that I don't get nervous going to an interview. Um, Everyone gets nervous, but I think if you can reframe it in your mind as if you're there to interview them as well, and this is kind of a mutual meeting to get an understanding of what their expectations are for this position, what your expectations are, um, what the job is going to be like. I mean, you're spending with your work, your coworkers, you're with them probably more than your family in a lot of jobs. Oh, Um, my God, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you want to make sure it's the right fit. You want to make sure that you like the people that you're working with. Um, And so I think if you can get in your head ahead of time to say, you know, I'm here to interview to make sure this is the right place for me. Um, You can kind of maybe come across a little more authentic and a little more um, yourself. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I curse a lot. I probably wouldn't advise going into an interview and running your mouth like that. But um, And I did not. I hid that part of myself. But, um, you know, uh, once you get comfortable around people, you can kind of let those (laughs) less – less savory things out of the bag. But 
um, if it's acceptable. But in an interview, you should at least feel comfortable being yourself because if you don't feel comfortable being yourself in an interview, how are you going to feel comfortable being yourself for the next five years at this job or whatever it is? I feel like it's so true. I, I, uh, sometimes when I think the way things are wired in society or our culture is like we make like interviewing or other big points of emphasis in our lives to be like make or break. And I always kind of try to repeat to myself, like everything's happening on time. Yeah, exactly. You know, things like, happen. Regardless of what happens, it's happening yeah. on time. Right. If things happen for a reason. That's why I also said, take as many interviews as you can go yes. to as many as you can. Um, because then it starts becoming a little easier and you can get a better sense of what you're looking for. You know? Um, so even if you don't think you're qualified, this is another thing, and this kind of goes more for women than men, but, you know, there's a statistic out there that women will only apply to a job if they're, like, 90% qualified or, you know, all those job requirements. They have to line up 90% of them, but men will apply when they're only, like, 30% qualified, mm-hmm. and so I think, especially for women, let go of that hesitation and just apply. The worst that happens is you don't get a call, which you, you're no bit worse off than you were to start so what's right. the big deal you know send your resume out if the job sounds interesting to you and it sounds kind of something neat or like you just want to learn more send your resume in the worst thing that can happen is they say no um, but getting you know your resume out there more might get you some feedback getting interviews might get you more comfortable interviewing and then you're more likely to find the place where you're meant to be I think that is phenomenal advice um, I will say as a recruiter, it is annoying when you see people that are completely unqualified apply for jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, that's my disclaimer. But you're, yeah, you're yeah. And you couldn't hit the nail on the head harder. I think um, having a front row seat to thousands of hires a year, just fortunate enough to be in the, the role I'm in and seeing all that, very rarely does someone really fit even 80-plus percent of the job description. And, and then – in those times, I feel like it's a very technical role. And I'm saying like the top 10% of technical roles, like not even um, what many people consider technical. So I think you're, I think you're right on the mark. And I even feel like for those super technical roles, when you apply, we see all the time companies be like, you know, I don't need anyone with this technology, but I was, fortunately, I think I might need this in six months. I'm going to talk to this person anyway. So I, I, it's, it's almost like the power of, it's almost like another avenue for networking, really. Right, right. It is, you know, and, and that's it. You just apply if it's something that is interested, but interesting. But you're right, you know, maybe if you're um, a cashier at a retail shop, you're probably not going to land that CEO job. Um, so, right. but, you know, maybe right. there's another role that they have open that you'd be better suited for. So, <laughs> And, and I, you know what I think is funny, though? I think people oftentimes um, – and I, th- I think college students in particular struggle with this when they, you know, they were camp counselors or they did a job like a cashier job, which for the they're like, well, I'm just a cashier. What do I know? It's like, well, you certainly have math skills and you certainly know how to deal with people. And sometimes yes. people in ironic or unfortunate spots that you have to help problem solve out of. And I, and I think sometimes it just takes a mentor to unpack them, unpack yeah. what the actual skills in that job are. 
Yeah, I actually find that people who worked in retail and or hospitality type roles are usually your best customer service people and actually just the best all around leadership because they really learn how to pivot, how to kind of think on their feet, how to problem solve, how to deal with someone angry. Um, so those I started in retail a million years ago, so yeah. I, I have a soft spot for people who started in retail. It's a, it's kind of a funny thing about the industry I'm in. Uh, if you're not in our industry, we almost target people in retail or in uh, the restaurant business. It's just a people. It's a it's completely a people business. In fact, I just got back from lunch a little while ago. Every time we're out at lunch, I'm like assessing the wait staff and being like, is there anyone here that could be a good fit for our organization? Because it's like <laughs> a recruit, it's almost like a recruiting opportunity. I do the same thing. If I'm like at Target and checking out and the cashier is particularly, you know, customer service oriented or, you know, I'm always like, oh, how do you like working here? <laughs> you know, do you yeah. need a job? <laughs> yes. here's, here's the uh, here's my credit card and my business card. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> we should chat. That's too, that is too funny. Do you, um, what else would you say for folks like that? I think the, the application, uh, applying to jobs that you're not a perfect fit for, I think is really sound advice. The other advice I give people is don't just apply for jobs. Like if you're searching for a job, I think that should probably be less than a third of your day should be applying and the other two thirds should really be spent on a little bit of researching and mainly connecting with people. Like to your point of like calling people, Hey, I've got an interview here. You worked there in the past. What was it like doing that type of homework, but also just trying to open doors for yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely getting involved in the community, kind of, you know, meeting people. The more people you know, the more people that are going to talk about you or, you know, find a spot for you or call on you. So um, networking is, is a big deal. Um, I'm part of a number of networking groups locally. Um, so that's hugely important. Um, and then also doing your research just on the companies. You know, it's one thing to kind of throw your resume out there for jobs, but make sure the company is something that you want to work for. So look at what they're doing, not just the job description. Um, I find that's a mistake a lot of people make. They come in and they've read the job description, but nothing else about the company. And so when we ask them that, you know, obvious question why do you want to work here why did you apply to the job and they can't really tell us anything about what we do as an agency that wasn't on the job description it's a little disappointing um you know and it's, and it's so basic right right so take five minutes google the company take a look at their website what are the big things they're doing what are the other departments doing um you know um familiarize yourself with it a little bit because there could be something that you know, you get really excited about or something that totally turns you off about the company and you decide maybe this isn't going to be a great fit for me. I think that makes a ton of sense. I think the other thing I, uh, I've i noticed is like, are you picking picking the leader that you're going to work for? Right. You know, like assessing who you're going to actually report to, because I think especially as the companies get larger, it really just matters who you work with in that company. That right. is that is the company for you. you know, right. Someone, especially at these multinational you know, oh. organization. It's a, that's yeah. a different world. We're fortunate yeah. we both kind of work in the uh, size company where you get to know everyone, which is right. like for me, I knew I was going to enjoy. Yeah. I grew up going, I went to a smaller college and I was like, okay, so I, this vibes with, with what I'm after. So, right. Right. Um, so more self awareness. Now, do you, along your career path, was there like anything you regret from a decision making standpoint and or like, 
an opportunity you may have passed up? Um, like, do you ever play Monday morning quarterback, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I mean, I guess I don't – it sounds cheesy. It sounds a little fake, but I don't think that things really are mistakes. As long as no one died, um, you know, and you didn't burn a building down, I think that things can be rectified or fixed and end up being a learning experience. Um, like I said, I've had bad jobs. There was one job that I lasted – about a year and a half and took off because, um, you know, I, f- I found something else, obviously. Um, but uh, I just was miserable. Um, mm-hmm. It was I took the job for the salary more than mm-hmm. anything else. And it was an hour and a half commute each way oh, every wow. day, which is grinding. Um, and I racked up a million speeding tickets in the time working there because, I like to drive fast. and Erin, I can't wait to hang out. You drive, drink beer, drive fast, and curse. This is thrilling. Yes, I should be a truck driver, right? I mean, well, I mean, I just, I love how, uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that I have really enjoyed about my career is that I found HR people are generally just rad people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we try to be. <laughs> it's, that is too funny. So you... You got sucked into that job really because of the dollar value. Yeah, yeah. I went I went for the money. You know, I let the dollar lead me, and it didn't go well. Um, the mm-hmm. company was not a good fit for me. Um, the, the department itself, the company was going undergoing a big um, corporate change, and so they were – we were part of that corporate change, and it was causing a lot of turmoil. So there were very angry people. There was a lot of internal mm-hmm. – sabotage of other employees. It was very weird. I've never experienced anything like that before in my life, but um, it was a really bad situation and really started affecting people's wellness. And um, so a year and a half, you know, I always try to give a job a good effort, um, but I knew right away this was not turning out to be the good. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting. It's funny because I think we all get sucked into the almighty dollar to a degree. Right. right. You don't want to give up money that you're worth. and Yeah. And it's part of it. And, you know, it was good anyway, because it was a stepping stone to the next um, job. And, you know, that kind of desperation to get out of that one, um, you know, pushed me to, to find something. Um, so, you know, it ended up being a, a lesson learned and a good experience anyway. But, um, you know, so I don't regret it necessarily but it definitely wasn't my favorite um, move it was some of my darker years as you say (laughs) I I told you that it's interesting I um and maybe this is I'm interested to know if you think this is applicable because Mm -hmm. I am in a role and in a company where we have base salaries that help us put gas in our tanks and a little food on the table but you know predominantly the money you make is commission-based yeah and um I've it took me a while for sure because I definitely was chasing dollars as an as a younger person for sure like just trying to get out of mom's basement kind of thing yeah Um, but then I I had this like realization along the way that was like I almost don't need to worry about money I need to worry about getting better at what I'm doing and and I don't want to just say like putting my head down and cranking out because I think it, it was really less about putting your head down and more about opening your eyes but I've always felt like if I do the work the money will follow. Yeah. It's funny I'm telling you this because I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever like really verbalized it before. It's more just something I've said to myself is like, don't worry about the money. If you're doing the right thing, the money will follow. Do, do yeah. you feel 
and I'm in my mid thirties and thus far, you know, knock on wood, it's been true. Do you feel that in your career as well? Do you think it's applicable in everyone's Yeah, career? yeah. And I don't want to discount, you know, money because, uh, no. you know, speaking from a, a point of privilege, you know, it's easy to say, yes. you know, don't chase the dollar. Um, sometimes you need to chase the dollar and sometimes that means sacrificing some other things, you know, maybe it's a longer commute or a job that you're not a hundred percent happy with. Um, and I, I don't, honestly, I don't think there is ever going to be a job that you're 100% happy with. There are always going to be bad days, you know, there's always 10% of the job that sucks. Exactly. No you know, what you do. Yeah. There's, I don't know. I forget the name of the movie. There was a movie. Oh, but it, it, it talks about the 80-20 rule. You yes. know, you have 80% and you're always looking for the other 20. And then you realize when you get the other 20 that that's all you have is 20. So you yes. get 80 for the 20. Yes. So I think you kind of need to find that balance. So, you know, it can't all be about the money. You know, maybe sometimes, like you said, when you're first getting out of college and you want to move out of mom's house and, and start paying your own bills, um, yeah, that's probably the point in your life where it is about the money. But once you get to a point where you're able to kind of sacrifice the money a little bit for your own happiness, for your sanity, for a decent commute, for great benefits, you know, whatever the whatever the, the pros and cons are on your list, um, you know, it's time to think about that because I think your happiness is worth far more than your money, uh, you know. It's, and I don't think you can be happy unless you really have done that self-assessment of what some of the things that are going to check that box off for you. Like I, you probably realize this because of the role you're in, but like you said community very many times on this, on this brief half hour we've been on. And it's like, clearly that's important to you, right. whether it's in or out of work. And I think one feeds the other, but I got to think that that was high on your list of like checking yeah. off boxes and feeling like you're contributing. Right. Yeah. That, and that's, uh, you know, like I said, I do a lot of community volunteering. So um, being part of the community and doing something that's valuable in the community um, and contributes to the community is very important to me. Um, and so, you know, obviously in my role now, we're in public housing. So we service some of the most vulnerable populations in the community. Um, and we are always looking for ways to help residents. So, you know, it's not just putting a roof over their heads, it's providing them with services, you know, and helping to make them self-sufficient so that they don't need to live in public housing anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of, there's so many programs that we um, do here and, and that we're expanding on. Um, you know, right now we are uh, working on with, uh, you know, I spoke at the beginning a little bit about uh, our apprenticeship programs. And we are working on a terraponics program, which is basically indoor gardening. Oh. Uh, and this is to help with food insecurity. So we're looking to create a 2,500 square foot facility where we are growing produce that we're giving for free to our residents. Um, uh, so to help them have fresh, healthy meals. Um, and so these are kind of programs that are really cool and get me a little bit out of my HR box because I just happen to see oversee this program. Um, mm. But not normally something that an HR person would dabble in, you know, indoor gardening. Yes. Totally random. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, but it, it's kind of a cool thing and it gives me that little bit of stretch um, and that challenge and, and keep helps keep my day very different. 
Mm. That's really that's really cool. Also, probably one of those things that really engages you in your work, the fact that you get to do things across your job description. Right, right. Yeah. And so that's kind of been the climb. You know, when I started here, I was the director of HR and I've been moved up into a C-level position because of that drive and that kind of enthusiasm and always kind of asking, well, what more can I do? What else can I do? Um, you know, and trying to kind of help to drive some of the culture here and change um, how we attack things and problem solve. So, um, yeah, I think, like you said, kind of your if you do the work, oftentimes the money will follow. Mm-hmm. Do you do you like lay out a vision for yourself of like what's next from a career standpoint or do you just let it ride? Um, I think a little bit of both. You know, yeah. I try to kind of be. uh Try to kind of be in the moment most of the time, but, um, you know, uh, I don't not think about the future. You know, what's next? I like to challenge myself. So um, if there's something interesting I can get involved in, I'm looking to that. But I also kind of feel like, you know, that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, yeah. I, I don't think you ever really know. Still figuring always- it out. <laughs> Still figuring it out. I didn't know I had to grow up the other thing when I grow up like this is cool right now I'm happy with what I'm doing I'm good um but you know 10 years from now am I going to be doing the same thing I don't know maybe yes yeah I know it's it's daunting that way yeah it's it's a little daunting not having that um I don't know I'm kind of a planner yeah you really can't plan for any of that so that that's I I that's the other reason why I kind of have that mantra of if I just keep working hard, the money will follow. I think it really is more like if I just keep working hard, things will work themselves out. Right. That's probably a better way of saying it, honestly. Yeah. Opportunities will present themselves and you make the decision if you want to go for it or not. You know, challenges, different jobs, networking, you know, all that stuff kind of gets you out there. And maybe you fall into a position like I did here. Um Yes. You know, I'm in the same. I'm in the same boat. Fell into it. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even the job wasn't even posted yet, and um, you know, I had that interview, and they said, "Hey, you know, weird question, but would you be interested in this?" So you never know, kind of what doors are going to open when you start opening yourself up to those opportunities. I completely agree. Did you, when you shared with us your experience of kind of like not loving that large, I think it was a larger company, I want to say it was, because you talked about a big business transformation and it becoming a little toxic. Yeah. Did that become, when you started looking for a new role, did you kind of rule out larger organizations as a whole due to that experience? Um, or or, or did, it, did it not really play a factor? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think it really played a factor. I do like, like you said, to be kind of community involved. So I was looking for something um, in the Worcester area, just because this is kind of where I've, I've built my home. I've, you know, established some roots and, you know, I have my friends here, I have connections here. Um, and I like being engaged with the community. I serve on a couple boards. Um, and so I was looking for something a little more community involved and those are usually smaller. I like working for nonprofits. Um, you know, they have a valuable mission. Um, so, I don't think I intentionally ruled out large companies or or anything like that. And if an opportunity had presented itself that maybe would have been along those lines, I might have considered it. But um, I I think I'm better suited to smaller organizations. Yeah, Yeah. I I feel the same. But I think there's something less sexy about that when you're younger. And then 
the, the, the longer my career goes on, the more I appreciate working at a smaller company where they let me say, hey, what if I started a podcast? And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to give it a try. You know, like, I think, like, I don't, I don't know if I'd be able to do these, these types of things at a larger organization. I mean, who knows, really, but. Right. Right. No, but you're right. Less of an impact and probably less visibility and less um, maybe independence, which, um, you know, but uh, that's not to say that the idea of working for like a Google or something yes. with all those crazy employee perks um, isn't, uh, you know, very interesting. But it's, it's, it's certainly intriguing. It's I would say I don't really have like I wouldn't say it's a regret, but I, oftentimes I'm like, man, I wonder where what it would have been like if I went like the. Fortune 1000 or Fortune 500 route, just in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I like to play with that idea, toy with that idea, because it feels so natural to be in a smaller business now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And almost fighting to make it a larger business as opposed to the opposite. So, um, yeah. No, interesting. Do you, what, any other advice you'd give to the job seeker or someone making the career change thus far? Um, no, I mean, I think just just be yourself. That's that's the biggest thing is really go into every interview the same way that the recruiter is going into it. Like you're interviewing to make sure that this is going to be the right fit. Weigh out those pros and cons. You know, maybe the salary isn't um, exactly where you want it to be. But if the other things are there, the benefits, the vacation time, the company culture, the, you know, whatever else, maybe that outweighs it a little or vice versa, you know, a big salary, but they expect you to work 80 hours a week and, um, you know, have kind of crummy benefits or the culture is really shitty, then, you know, maybe that's not, um, the, the right spot for you because the money is not going to keep you happy. No, not. Not at all. And I think understanding what makes you happy is probably the best way to go into those. Yeah, for, for, sure. for a real self-assessment. Just out of curiosity, your community focus, did, did you grow up in the Worcester area? I grew up in Framingham. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, close by. Um, you know, and then we lived in Marlboro after after college. Um, you know, my husband and I lived with his parents for a few years while we saved up to buy a house, um, which was great. Uh money-wise, probably a stressor on them (laughs) and on us, you know, but, um, but they were, they were fantastic letting us live there so that we could save for our house. We bought our house about uh, 10 years ago in Leicester. Um, So right, right next door, you know, uh, Auburn area. Um, And we've lived there for about uh, 10 years now, like I said, 10 or 11 years. and, And this is where I kind of have made my home. Mm. Was the community important to you growing up or did it become something that became more important to you as you got wiser? Definitely that came more important to me. Yeah. 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 I realized so sometime maybe when I was working for UMass, actually, um, I kind of was thinking about more and more, you know, what I was contributing and kind of what Mm -hmm. my legacy was going to be. Not that I was like dying or something, but I I just. I started realizing, you know, all I was really doing was going to work and going home and I wasn't really contributing anything. And um, so I started thinking about, you know, how can I be um, more meaningful in life? How can I fulfill 
you know, how can I be more fulfilled in my life? And so I started getting involved in different volunteering opportunities and then serving on some boards and and go from there. Before that, you know, growing up in Framingham, you know, I was there through high school and high school. I mean, I didn't care. (laughs) I was like, skipping class and hanging out with my friends. That was more important than, you know. Uh, in the community, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's so true. I uh, I remember when I moved into town, we bought our house in 2013. I was so happy that I could just keep a low profile and no one knew who I was. And yeah. then, uh, now that we have children in the community and you're almost forced to meet people, it's been this thing where like, I'm like, man, I don't know why I was hiding before. This is so much better at contributing. But it, I, I myself, Aaron, had to go through the a similar journey of like, oh, no, I need to contribute. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you get to kind of a good place in your life where you're a little more stable financially yes. and mentally and whatever else. And then you can get back, you know, yes. you can spend a few hours volunteering somewhere or doing something, you know, uh, whatever it is that you care about, whether it's, you know, animals or veterans or the homeless or, you know, uh, cancer research or whatever it is. But you kind of find your niche and you, um, you, you see how you can serve in different ways. And I, I find that very fulfilling. Mm. Aaron, it strikes me that uh, you're clearly a go-getter. Like that, just like I, I, in our short time together, I can tell you're like, you know, you don't f around. You're like, you're gonna go after things you want. <laughs> but I also feel like you've done a lot of self-work. And what I mean, by like the rough. I, I don't mean that like you know, in like a weird sense. I just mean like you yeah. thought about what's important to you. You thought about, I mean, legacy. Meaning those are some things that I, you know, um, I have personally worked on, but it's been inspired, I think, by other podcasts or books. Like, how did you get to the place in your life where you were like, you know, I got to do the work. I don't, I got to turn the radio off on the car ride home and think about this as opposed to zone out. Like, what, is there any impetus that that happened or has it just been an evolution? Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of been both. I mean, I didn't have, um, the greatest family life growing up. And so, um, you know, it, thing, it was really important to me to start kind of um, evaluating myself and kind of understanding what I wanted out of life and how, you know, I needed to take more charge of my life. You know, it's very easy kind of when you've had um, not so a not so supported um childhood or kind of background to get into the blame game and you know the kind of self-pity and things like that you know I struggled with depression um you know and I think at some point I realized I can change this you know I, I don't need to be in this dark place I don't need to um wait for someone else to give me something. I need to go and take it. I need to go and get it myself. And so I need to challenge myself and own my life. Um, And that took a lot of introspective self-work, some therapy, some, you know, um, a little bit of everything and a lot of, you know, making mistakes along the way and, and being okay with that. Um, and recognizing that mistakes are part of life. And like I said, as long as no one's dead and you didn't like light a building on fire, you're probably all right. You're probably going to be able to bounce back. Um, yeah. People are resilient and, you know, own your mistakes and move on from them. And, and it's not to your point. Uh, it almost doesn't matter. Right. Like mm-hmm. the mistakes you're making on the way that they're, they're there for a point. It's uh, it's pretty cool, though. It's, it's you can definitely tell you're someone 
uh, where like I'm guessing your confidence comes from that experience. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think at some point you got to accept that shit happens, you know, so you can either sit and dwell on it and be miserable or you can just learn a lesson, move on and and choose to be happy. Mm. It's never a uh, it was never an intention of the podcast to necessarily like explore this topic, but it's really intriguing because I because to really I think to be happy, you kind of can't avoid doing that work. Like, and I think you meet people, it's interesting now being, you know, whatever, in my mid-30s, and you meet people that are older than you, but you can still tell they haven't done the work, and it's contributing to their unhappiness, and you kind of want to grab them by the shoulders, but like, hey, no, dude, just sit in a room and think. But, yeah. like, but, um, but I think it's such an important part of the career, part of our lives, because you got, you, if, you, if you don't know what you like, you can't. You can't really assess if a job's going to be good for you. Right. Yeah. And it's it's really important. It's important for your happiness. It's important for your, uh, you know, acceptance um, and just everything in life. If you are not doing the self work, you, mm. you you know, you can't expect other people to do it for you. It's mm. just not going to happen. It's it's a uh, it's a cruel fact of life. Yeah, for there's sure. no there's no handout in that one. That that's one that just takes rolling up your sleeves and uh, being vulnerable, I think, with yourself and and generally having someone, you know, you mentioned a therapist or a mentor or someone that's going to guide you through it and kind right. of shake it to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Find your support system. If it's not your family, maybe it's your friends. If it's not yeah. your friends, maybe it's a coworker or a teacher or someone along the way that you can um, bounce ideas off of. And, and that's going to give it to you straight. You know, Aaron, mm. I think that's a that's a phenomenal thing. If anyone takes anything away from this, I think that's the probably the most profound thing, because you can't even make that decision you referenced of commute versus salary versus happiness until you kind of do that work. So I think, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that your journey, uh, with us in the beers and careers family. And, uh, sure. thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on. Much yeah. Appreciate. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for having me. Let's stay in touch and get a beer or some Mac and cheese eventually. Yeah, definitely. Or both. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Take it easy. Aaron. pleasure meeting you. Okay. You too.